Today we finish the Gospel of Luke. It's been quite a ride, hasn't it? And we'll talk a little bit about uh, what we've seen uh, throughout Luke. And uh, next week we start with the uh, Gospel of John. And for the last four weeks, Blake's going to be up here talking about uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, while Wagner's a little bit ahead of us on Sunday, trust me, we'll catch up um, and go flying by uh, where he is. But if you have not listened to Wagner's first two weeks of the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, do yourself a favor and go listen to that on Watermark Radio. It has been terrific. And so clear your decks on Sunday mornings and get here and uh, get you some of uh, the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings and uh, also at Summit for the next four weeks after this one. So let me pray for us and we'll get rolling. Father, thanks for this opportunity to come together. And Lord, as we finish the Gospel of Luke, we just uh, celebrate uh, the many messages it has for us. And today, Father, we close with the resurrection. And so, Father, it is my prayer that we might be transformed by the power of the resurrection. So thanks for this time, Father, and give us the uh, opportunity as guys to lead our own lives well on the basis of the power of the resurrection, and then to be men who lead in our families and in our workplaces and in our communities. Amen. Okay, so in Luke 15 and 16, we got to see uh, three different parables. Come on in. Uh, in Luke 15, all given the same sort of message. And uh, um, in Luke 16, uh, our memory verse was in Luke 16, and we found out that we can't be servants uh, of two different masters, that we can't serve God and money. We can't serve God and wealth. And, you know, chapter 16 in Luke is known as the money chapter. And uh, um, the Lord had a lot to say about the use of money and how we are to use it to make friends for the kingdom. Chapter 17 and 18, we uh, had a lot to talk about humility. And we saw the humility of how when ten lepers were uh, cured, one of them came back. And we saw the humility of the tax collector in comparison with the Pharisee and how the tax collector sat there and talked about uh, how he was not even worthy to be standing there before God. And we also saw uh, uh, a contrast in the rich young ruler and how uh, he had uh, a lot of money. And uh, although his quest was the right one, uh, what may I do to um, uh, have eternal life, he was looking in the wrong place for it. And when the Lord said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, what happened? He went away and was very sad. He didn't want to do that. The Lord knew the one thing that uh, was the hang-up. And, guys, the lesson to us is that we have to be willing to give it all up to follow the king. And then in 19 and 20, uh, uh, Wagner talked about uh, Zacchaeus and uh, the impact that Zacchaeus had. And uh, before Zacchaeus was able to see, what did he have to do? He had to climb up in the tree. And then he was able to see over the crowd that was standing tall in its own uh, righteousness. And then after Zacchaeus, we saw the triumphal entry, and then we saw the Lord cleanse the temple. And uh, in 20, we saw a day of challenges where people were challenging uh, Christ right and left and how he responded. 
The next week we were in uh, 19, I'm sorry, 21 and 22, and we talked about living in condition orange, living with our head on a swivel, living in such a way that we are alert at all times, and that we're praying. Our memory verse then was a, a great one, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things. And how do we do that? How do we have that strength? It's by praying by maintaining that uh, prayerful attitude throughout our day, and by living in community where you've got guys around you who are willing to hold you accountable to uh, live in that sort of way where you are constantly in prayer. Guys who know you well enough to say uh, that uh, uh, these are three things I need to be praying for you about. And guys, that's what we, why we talk so much about community, so that we are uh, partnering together with uh, other men and women for spiritual growth and for um, taking ground in our prayer lives and having people that pray for us and being able to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that uh, we have been called to follow. And then last week we talked about second chances. And we saw a real contrast between how Peter responded to um, what he had done in denying the Lord and how Judas responded in what he had done in betraying the Lord. And we saw the real difference between remorse and repentance and how Peter has made use of the second chances, and we'll talk more about that today. And then finally today we get to talk about the resurrection. And I only have about 50 different messages in my head going on right now about what we should talk about about the resurrection. Um, you know, as we finish in chapter 24, uh, it's interesting to compare how um, 24 kind of goes back to where we started in chapter 1 of Luke, if you've been reading along on the journey. Because we start... In Luke 1, and we finish in Luke 24 in the temple courts. The very last couple of verses talk about how the disciples, after they uh, had seen Christ ascend, they went back into the temple and were continually blessing God and uh, praising God. And we start and finish with God uh, doing something dramatic. Uh, First, coming into history, and then second, uh, uh, as he leaves We see the power of the resurrection and what he's done there. And so we start and finish with dramatic uh, events. And we also start and finish with joy. You have the joy of the coming Messiah, the joy of the coming King. You see that joy played out in a stable in Bethlehem and how the shepherds come to see this marvelous event. And then we finish with the joy of the disciples at the resurrection. They didn't understand it. But when they knew that Christ had been resurrected, there was a sense of joy that pervaded their lives. And so, you see a real start and finish in um, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And so today I want to just read the first 12 verses together. And so let's take a look at uh, um, what those verses have to say uh, about the resurrection. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. You remember how chapter 23 closes with the women having prepared spices that they're going to use to anoint Christ's body. And so they are the ones, the women are the ones who get up early. And I don't know about your house, but at my house, 
it's my wife who gets up early and who is faithful about uh, praying uh, for the whole family, praying for me, praying for me this morning. And, uh, man, that is such a lesson to me as a guy. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they stood, uh, they were perplexed, or while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. Okay, so think about these women. These women have just come to um, anoint the body of a someone who's just been crucified by the power of Rome. And so what courage did it take for these women to leave the safety of wherever they were uh, to go to the tomb of uh, someone that uh, the rest of the world would say, this is somebody we wanted executed. What courage that took. And as they did that, um, they uh, uh, took along the things that they had prepared, uh, and they were ready to go uh, serve the Lord in a way that uh, it, that in itself is a lesson to us. And you noticed uh, in uh, verses 1 through 4, there were two angels there. There were two men that they uh, ran into. And that goes back to De- Deuteronomy 19.15 that says that uh, uh, it takes two witnesses to an event to provide the sort of proof that would stand up in court. And so you see a multitude of women. We, um, uh, Luke's getting ready to name uh, some of the women who were there. So we have several women who are going to witness this event. And we also have two angels. And it just reminds me that the Lord is faithful to his word. And when he says in scripture that we need two witnesses, uh, he blesses these women by sending two angels to say, the Lord is risen. Uh, he's not here. So let's keep reading. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? And then, in the Greek it's actually three words, in the English it's four. Uh, He is not here. And you know, guys, with those words, history changed. He is not here. But he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. How many times had Jesus told uh, his uh, disciples that that was going to be what was uh, his mission, what was in front of him? He'd done it at least three different times. And did they remember? Well, none of them remembered. But now we see in verse 8 that these women remembered his words and they started to put it together. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so what did they do as soon as they remembered his words and started to be uh, put together? What was happening uh, that they had seen with their own eyes and what they remembered uh, that the Lord had said to them, they immediately go back and they tell their community. What a powerful example for us. And, you know, guys, there's a reason why we do these memory verses. It's so that in 
crisis situations, in situations where we're totally caught off guard, where we're not expecting something to happen that actually happens, that the power of Scripture will come back to our minds as guys and be able to use that Scripture to inform the decisions that we make as men. That's why we memorize these Scripture verses. And so... These women had remembered his words, and that transformed, began the transformation process in them. And so as they return, they go to the eleven and to all the rest, and you know, even that word eleven tells us uh, who's there. Peter's there. He didn't say they went to the ten, they went to the eleven. The, the, Judas has hanged himself by this time, and so the, uh, there are eleven uh, apostles left, 11 of the original disciples, including Peter. And so Peter has gone from denying the Lord and going back to his community. Okay, next verse. And now uh, Luke goes and lists uh, some of the women who were there. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. And also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And what did the apostles do? Of course, they immediately embraced them and got down on their knees and thanked God that this was what was happening. Right? Well, no, I don't think so. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. I mean, is that a typical guy reaction or what? How many times has Sarah come and told me something? I went, no, no, that can't be right. And... Something that I just refuse to believe. It, it sounds like it's nonsense to me. You know, the, the Greek word that they use there is the same word that's used uh, for um, someone who is very sick and is talking uh, like a delirious person. It, it's the same sort of concept. It sounded like the jabbering of someone who was, uh, you know, quite ill. And so they look at these women like they had uh, uh, ten horns coming out of their heads or something. It, it was something that they just would not believe. They could not believe. But look what happens. Look what happens uh, um, to the ten, and look what happens to one guy. The one guy who had denied the Lord was the one who said, Okay. I've just learned a pretty good lesson from uh, uh, the Lord. Uh, he told me what I was going to do, even though I vehemently denied that I would be the one to deny him. And so Peter gets up, and he runs to the tomb, and he stoops and he looks in. And what does he see? He doesn't see a body, but he sees the linen wrappings only. And then he goes away to his home marveling at what had happened. You know, did Peter fully get it yet? I don't know. But he is definitely starting to get it. And you, you'll see uh, in the uh, uh, last part of uh, um, the uh, uh, Gospel of Luke, and then you, particularly in the book of Acts, you see that Peter not only got it, but it transformed him into a, a man who was bold and courageous for the cause of the gospel. Okay, so a picture is worth a thousand words. And so I want to show you something, a, a picture that uh, I took in Israel. Uh, is this the garden tomb? 
Well, uh, no one can tell us that. Uh, but is this a first century tomb that uh, um, would have been what the garden tomb likely uh, looked like? Uh, absolutely. And so you can see uh, right in front of uh, the uh, little doorway there, you can see kind of a, a low stone uh, wall. It's actually a channel. And if you go to the next slide, you can see this is what um, the stone would have looked like, and it actually just rolled across this little channel and would have been placed in front of the tomb. Okay? And so, you know, the question is asked, who moved the stone? Well, uh, Scripture helps us with that. And one of the important things to do as you read uh, different gospel accounts of gospel events, like the resurrection, is to go to the other gospels and see what additional details that those gospels add. And we know that uh, um, angels moved the stone away. And it was something the women had worried about as they went to the tomb. But as they got there, no big deal because the Lord had already taken care of that. I want to read you uh, uh, one of my favorite verses. It's from Philippians uh, 3.10. And actually, um, I'll just give you part of it. It starts off, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. In the fellowship of its sufferings, it goes on to say. And you know, guys, that's what I want to be. That's what I want you guys to be. I want you guys, I want all of us to be men who know him in the power of his resurrection. And you know, Understanding the cosmic forces that are at work in the resurrection is something way over my head. But something I can understand, and something that all of us can understand, is that the power of the resurrection is in its ability to transform lives. Every Tuesday morning we have uh, um, a staff meeting that we affectionately excuse me, call staff prayer. And each week there are stories of life transformation that are shared in there about what God is doing in our midst. And I'm sure that happens in every summit group each week, about how God is changing us, how God is transforming us. And that, to me, is the power of the resurrection. It is the power to transform lives. Let's put up the last slide. This is an 85-year-old British gentleman named Simon. I think that's his name. It fits if it's not. Um, and he has devoted the last part of his life. He's a believer in Christ. And he has been transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of the resurrection. And so he has devoted his life to being a tour guide um, there at um, one of the possible sites of uh, Golgotha and the empty tomb. And, you know, as he put it so well, he said, you know, I can't tell you that this is the tomb, but I can tell you that it is a marvelous example of what that tomb was like. And then he goes on to relate how the power of the resurrection transformed his own life. And it was a very moving thing to hear how uh, his life had been transformed. I told you last week the story of a staff member whose life has been transformed by the power of the resurrection. And guys sitting in this room, there are three or four hundred of us today 
who have the opportunity to experience the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. And I've got a question for your groups. Will you let the power of the resurrection transform your life today and every day? Transform the way that you deal with your uh, spouses, the way that you deal with your children, the way that you deal with your business associates, the way you deal with your neighbors, the way you deal with people you come into contact with every day, especially those people who can really do nothing for you. You know, I've always thought it's the mark of a man how he deals with those who can do nothing for him. How do you treat the... the um, People on the margin that you come into contact with every day. And so, guys, as we leave today, what are we going to do to be transformed by the power of the resurrection today? Let's pray. Father, thanks for what you have recorded about uh, your son's resurrection. And thanks for the way that um, it still transforms lives today. So may we be like uh, those first disciples, uh, like uh, the women who uh, saw and remembered and uh, understood about what you meant uh, when your son said that he would be resurrected. And so, Father, thanks for the power that that resurrection still has today to change lives. Lord, we celebrate the fact that your son is not among the dead, but is living and seated in power at your right hand. And so, Father, may uh, his resurrection continue to transform the lives of these guys in this auditorium, even today. Thanks for this time. Amen.